The scripture we'll be reading is in Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 40. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. got to get this set up here um it's funny we have this uh, this primitive outdoorsy uh pulpit and i'm using this modern te- uh ipad to preach from so um <clears throat> was there watermelon and freezies okay so the one thing eric did forget was the watermelon and the freezies so afterwards um feel free to to participate in that watermelon and freezies um will be available um, and if the sun moves on you, feel free to get up and move yourself around. There's some uh, obstructed view seating over over yonder if you want more shade. <clears throat> Let me go ahead and pray for us, and uh, we'll get to work on, on Mark 1, 40 through 45. Lord, I echo Mark's prayer. Mark Larson, that is. Lord, thank you for bringing us out to this this beautiful place. Lord, the, the birds singing, chirping all of the sounds of creation. Lord, it's true what the, what the hymnist wrote in Ferris, Lord Jesus. And yet all of this serves, serves a deeper beauty yet in Christ and his sacrifice. I pray, Lord, that we would have eyes to see that this morning. I pray that from this passage, we would see Christ as beautiful. And especially, Lord, for those of us who have been walking with the Lord Jesus for many, many years, Lord, I pray that you would help us to see afresh the beauty of Christ, the beauty of Christ in, in the law that he gives, the beauty of Christ as he is a great high priest, the beauty of Christ, Lord, in the sacrifice that truly provides salvation for our souls and meets our deepest needs. So we thank you for this word. We pray that, Lord, as I preach it, that it would land upon our hearts and that it would create faith in us. And I pray that we would walk away from here awed by Christ. So please do that work. I don't have the power to do it. Only you do. Only you can. By the agency of the Holy Spirit, as your word is preached in the hearts and minds of your people. So please be here. Be exalted. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen.
So being a leper in the time of Jesus was a double whammy. Obviously, it meant that you were unwell. You're stuck with a chronic disease or skin disease. Leprosy was a heading under which 72 different skin diseases were categorized underneath. So leprosy wasn't just one particular skin disease. It was a heading for a set of possible of 72 different diseases. And most common perhaps were the spots, white spots, that would cause loss of feeling in the area that the spots covered. Now, if you're getting bit by a mosquito or an alligator, losing feeling isn't that bad of a, de- uh, of a, of a deal, right? But when you think about feeling a gentle breeze, when you think about feeling cold water on a hot day, or maybe the touch of your spouse, losing feeling is a big deal. It's very sad. So you're unwell. Less obvious was that it meant that you were unclean. The first step for someone who might discover a strange appearance on their skin was to go to the priest. And if they, uh, I'm sorry, it was to go to the priest. And if they determined that your ailment was indeed leprosy, you were considered unclean in addition to being unwell. The ceremonial laws that apply in Mark 1, 40 through 45 come from Leviticus 13 and 14. So if you want to turn in your Bibles there, you can follow along because we don't, we don't have the PowerPoint going this morning. <laughs> that luxury isn't with us. Um, and if you could, just give me a second here. I realize I have the wrong version of my manuscript. Okay, there we go. Leviticus 13, 45, and 46. The leprous person who has the disease shall shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. And he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean! Unclean! He shall remain unclean as long as he has a disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. To be a leper was to be sentenced to a life of endless quarantine. We can appreciate this, can't we, after a year of COVID and government lockdowns? Imagine being stuck in quarantine forever. There's no vaccine on the way. There's no masks that you can wear that would allow you to go back into public. There's no social distancing measures. In fact, well, there is a social distancing measure for those that had leprosy. It was 50 paces. You had to stay 50 paces away from the nearest person. And as anyone approached you or somebody, or if you approached somebody, and if you were entering in 50 paces, how would you even do that even? Like, would they have some kind of a counter? Probably not. You just have to kind of judge it, basically. But if you were entering that space into that bubble, you would have to shout out, I'm unclean, I'm unclean, so that people would avoid you. You were not allowed near the temple, and you couldn't enter the gates of Jerusalem if you were a leper. You had to live alone without the fellowship of family members and friends. I would imagine back in those days, their internet connection was pretty poor, so there's no possibility of a Zoom meeting. 
probably worse than that dial-up connection. Do you guys remember? How many of you guys were around to hear that awful, gut-wrenching sound? I won't even try to mimic it, but you know, you know what I'm talking about. You spend 20, 30 seconds just letting the computer boot up. You'd hear that screeching sound. And you'd pray to God that you would actually connect to the homepage. <laughs> and you'd wonder how long am I going to have to sit here and wait for this page to load. Oh, kids, you don't realize how good you have it today. You press click and boom, the page just opens up. It wasn't always that way, you know. So there's no Zoom meetings for these people, for the, the, for the leper. They force them to wear raggedy clothes to keep themselves shabby. Right, And that was kind of perhaps maybe an outward reflection of their uncleanness, as if their leprosy wasn't already enough. So all of this served as a warning so as not to spread their contamination. So let me make three points this morning from this passage. Number one, Jesus is a better law. Number two, Jesus is a better priest. And number three, only Jesus is or Jesus is the only Savior. So Jesus is a better law. He's a better priest. And only Jesus is Savior. So number one, Jesus is a better law. The Jews had strict laws concerning their relationship with God. And being considered clean was very important to them. Re uh, reading Leviticus 13 and 14 shows us how serious they were about holiness before God. And what's interesting is right off the bat, we see Jesus breaking the law. He breaks it. And how does he do that? Well, in verse 40 and 41, a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. And moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And notice Jesus touched the man. You see, it was, it was unlawful. It was a no-no for the man to actually approach Jesus. That was a breaking of the law right there. For, so even for Jesus to entertain this, he wasn't following uh, 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 social distancing protocols, as it were. And then, uh, furthermore, he touches him. Now, this, is, this, is pretty, this is pretty shocking. For those that would have understood how these laws work, they, this would have been jarring. So it's unlawful for the man to approach Jesus. It's unlawful for Jesus to even touch him, let alone get within 50 paces of him. And the leper appears to demonstrate great faith initially. And notice that he appeals to Jesus, not on his ability to heal him, but on his willingness to do so. If you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus says, okay, I am, I'm willing. He doesn't actually believe for one second that Jesus can't, heal him just like many of you probably struggle with physical ailments or has known somebody who's struggled with physical ailments i would bet not a single one of you doubts for a second that god could heal you or heal your friend or your loved one the question is whether or not god is willing right well this man says i know you can make me clean i know you can heal me and jesus is willing Another thing we can say about this is that Jesus is both compassionate, perhaps we could say he's angry. Now, there's a lot of controversy around this translation, that Jesus was moved with compassion for the sake of the man. That's pretty easy to understand, isn't it? He was filled with pity for him. He looked at his predicament, and he's filled with pity. The controversy 
probably uh, arises because many um, scholars believe that the word should be translated angry. And that's interesting. Jesus was angry about the situation. He would have been righteously angry for the predicament of the man. Not only did he have a chronic disease, but now he's an outcast forever. And now both emotions, I think we could say, are understandable. And we can understand the pity that Jesus has on the man. That's pretty easy for us to understand. It might actually be easy for us to understand if Jesus was righteously angry about this. He might say, yeah, perhaps he should be. Perhaps we should be. And the reason why I bring up the anger of Jesus is because I think perhaps it's the right response to the repercussions that people now have to face as a consequence of sin. They realize sin has come into the world and it is destroyed. And there is a sense in which well, we should be angry about that. Perhaps it's best to say that because of the lack of clarity about whether it was anger or pity, maybe it was both. Maybe both are fitting responses from Christ. Jesus is both angry and he's compassionate. He's filled with pity for those who are suffering under sin. And all of us suffer the consequence. All of you suffer the consequences of sin in one way or, the, or another, don't we? All of you suffer some type of physical ailment. I mean, that's just, when we talk about our physical bodies, that's just one aspect of life. And it's one aspect that we encounter sin in this world. And it's a big one, isn't it? It's a big one. When we think about our physical bodies and the struggles that we have when it comes to illnesses and diseases. And perhaps some of you might struggle more than others. And Jesus does care about it. I want to tell you that this morning. He cares about that. He has pity for you. And we might even say that Jesus is angry about the way that sin destroys you and makes your life miserable. There are ways that physical ailments destroys life and makes your life miserable. And we definitely have a category, you see, of God being angry at sin and God being angry at sinners. We have a good category for that. And I would suggest perhaps we need a category, too, for God who is angry at the devastation that sin brings and the way that it leaves his children miserable. God does care about that. And I think it's possible for God to both be angry at sin and angry at sinners, but also angry at just the situation, it's tragic that people must suffer. So God is angry, perhaps even, we could say, also in addition to just the consequences of sin, but perhaps angry at the way that the law, the ceremonial law, is utterly useless, really, to help this leper. If you think about it, this, this ceremonial law that he's now under exasperates his problem. It makes it worse. So perhaps Jesus is angry about that, too. He's angry about the fact that people are suffering, and then on top of it, this law that's supposed to make life, or perhaps lead them to God, actually does maybe the opposite. So these ceremonial laws leaves us thinking that there just has to be a better way, doesn't there? If this is what is required to be right with God, you can see why people wouldn't want anything to do with religion. That's pretty easy to understand, I think. Now, when I was in high school, um, I used to listen to music on cassettes. 
You guys remember those cassettes? <laughs> um, yeah, dial-up internet and cassettes. I don't know. I'm so internally scarred as a as a as a human being. <laughs> I had to endure that in my upbringing, in my formative years. I had to listen to cassettes. No, I'm, I'm joking, obviously. But in the summer months, if I left my cassettes on the front seat of my car in the vinyl seats of my Toyota Tercel, they would melt. They would shrivel up and they'd turn up like a like a banana. Um, Especially those clear ones, you know, when you bought the actual, well, I won't get into it, but the clear cassettes, if you left them on there, they would just shrivel up and melt. These cassettes, you could listen to like 10 songs at a time on them, 10, you know, and if you, as, as they got later on, you might be able to jam 20, 20, can you imagine that kids, 20 songs all in one shot, it's unbelievable. We had the Walkman, you guys remember the Walkman? They had a stop and a play and then even a fast-forward function. And if you wanted to listen to a song again, I mean, you might want to listen to a song again if you like it. You had to flip the tape over, fast-forward, get it to the right spot, and then flip the tape back over, and then you could listen to your song again. That's the way it worked. Well, that's what I, that's, you know, my, kind of my earlier days, we had cassettes. That was the technology that was available. Now we have digital music. Now, when Jesus heals the leper, he eclipses the Old Testament, Old Testament ceremonial law in the same way that digital music eclipses cassettes. You see that? Digital music, you know, you can't go to the store and find cassettes anywhere. You can't find a Walkman. You can't find a, a, a cassette player. Good luck with that. Why? Because digital music has so thoroughly eclipsed it, it's rendered it completely outdated and useless. Nobody needs it anymore. And I think that's what Jesus does with the Old Testament ceremonial law. This is proven to not be really, up. Jesus is so much better. He offers a better law. Following him and obeying him really is light years above what the Old Testament law could try to do and really ultimately couldn't do. So Jesus is a better law. Number two, I'll say a little bit more about that towards the end. Number two, Jesus is a better priest. Now, Notice that after Jesus heals the man, he instructs him to go to the priest. Now, the question is, why does he do this? You ever wonder that? Why does he tell them to go to the priest? Well, the most obvious answer is because that's what the law prescribed. But this is where the question becomes interesting because clearly Jesus doesn't exactly care about the law all that much because he already violated it when he allowed the man to come to him and when he touched the man. So what is Jesus exactly motivated by? Perhaps we could say he tells him to go to the priest because the priest is the one who can pronounce him clean and he wouldn't have to live as an outcast anymore. But ironically, this is ironic. Pay attention to this. He avoids the priest. You notice that there's no indication in the passage that the man actually goes to the priest. There's indication that the man didn't listen to anything that Jesus had to say to him. <laughs> He told them not to tell anybody. He goes and tells everyone. So there's good indication that perhaps the man did not ever go to the priest. But yet he's reaping the benefits of being clean, which I think renders the priest kind of irrelevant. He's healed. He's cleansed. He doesn't need the priest to go and pronounce that. He's already reaping the benefits. So you see the priest is what role does they what role do they serve? I think this passage kind of subtly teaches us <laughs> the priest 
Jesus, I'm the, pri- I'm the priest. I'm the one who truly can pronounce you clean. Uh, so I think this hints at a deeper thing that's going on here, and that is that Jesus sends him to the priest as an indication that there's a new day of God's mercy dawning, and it totally surpasses the older order. Verse 43 and on. Let's read this real quick. Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But he went out and he began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in, a desolate, out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. You see, the Old Testament priests were there to point out leprosy, but they really couldn't do anything about it. Notice that Jesus trades places with the leper. I want you to pay attention with this. This is kind of interesting. You see, the man acts in disobedience. We would look at this and say, Jesus asked him, don't tell anybody. Go to the priest. This is like, you ever tell your kids, I want you to wash the dishes and then go fold your clothes. And then three minutes later, they're on a screen. Did you wash the dishes? No. Did you fold your clothes? No. You know, that happened in our house once, I think. So basically, you're telling me you didn't do anything that I asked you to do. Well, <laughs> I guess you could put it that way. This is the, this is the, this is the guy. I want you to go to the priest. I want you to tell nobody. What does he do? I'm not going to go to the priest. I'll I'll go tell everyone. So he's back to being eight years old. Um, the man acts in disobedience. Now look at the result. What's the consequence of this? Look at how this unfolds. The man acts in disobedience, and as a result, what happens to Jesus? He's now the one who cannot enter the town. Jesus is now the outcast, in a sense. Because of the mercy of Christ, this man is not only healed, he's freed, and he's restored to the life he's always wanted. And what happened to Jesus in the process? He's out in desolate places. You see it says that there? He's out in desolate places now as a result. There's a switch. A reversal. I've only got one hand free, so I can't really make the the visual thing work. But there's a switch. There's a reversal. This man was out. Now he's in. Jesus was in. Now he's out. Now Jesus is the one who's outside the camp. And I can't help but think about, I'm sorry, Hebrews 13, 12, and 13, which says this. Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. Isn't that something? Jesus was cast out so you could come in. Jesus was cast out so this man could go in. So Jesus is a better priest. The priests, they just announce, you're unclean. Get out of here. Jesus puts his hand on him. He touches him. And he actually sacrifices for him. He trades places with him. This is how he's a much, 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 infinitely, muchly better king. And in in a sense, he takes his shame upon him. I want to talk about this just for a second. At least the consequences of shame. This man is a leper, and there's a shame. You see, it's it's not just that he can't enter the gates. It's not just that he has to live a life of quarantine. He's also shamed 
Do you realize that the whole system for the leper is designed to shame them, in a sense? When you have to shout, I'm unclean, I'm unclean. When you have to wear clothes, it actually reflects your ugliness. That's shame. Now, what's the difference between guilt and shame? Well, guilt is, I've done a dirty thing. This is an easy way for me to remember it. Now, hopefully, this is an easy way for you to remember it. Guilt equals, I've done a dirty thing. Shame, I am a dirty thing. Guilt, I feel unclean. Shame, I am unclean. That's the difference. And in the Old Testament law, when you look at Leviticus 13, 45 and 46, it says very clearly, he is unclean. And they could do nothing for him but deepen his shame. And do you see, brothers and sisters, that Jesus takes your shame upon him? If you are in Christ, you can never say, I am dirty. You can say, I feel dirty. If you have sinned, that's guilt is a normal thing. Guilt is, guilt is a good thing. When you feel guilty, when you feel dirty for sinning, yes, you should feel dirty. You should feel guilty. But a Christian, I would submit to you, should never feel shame. Because Christ has taken upon, upon your shame. He's taken your shame upon himself. And so you can never actually say as a Christian, I am dirty. No, you are a saint. You are a beloved child of God. You are a re, you, you're regenerated. You are a new creation in Christ. When God looks upon you, he doesn't see a dirty thing. He sees a beautiful thing that, being made in the image of Christ. So there is a big difference between guilt and, and shame. You might feel guilty, but you can never really say in Christ, I am dirty. Christ has taken that from you. He's traded places with you. So at the core, at the depths of your heart and at the depths of your soul, he has cleansed you. And you always have the possibility of finding forgiveness for the blood of Christ, through the blood of, of Christ, and being made clean. Because you are, you're a saint, you're a, you're a saint of the holy God. So that's the difference between guilt and shame. And I think this is why Jesus is a better priest. He doesn't just pronounce things. He actually enters in and he takes and he trades places with you. He takes the ugliness of our sin upon himself. He's nailed to the cross. Jesus didn't wear the raggedy clothes. He, well, he did on the cross. He was ugly. He was, he was made disgusting, really, on the cross. He was, he was an eyesore to look at. And that was our shame upon him. Okay, conclusion and this is my third point, and it doubles as the conclusion. Jesus is the only Savior. He's the only Savior. And I would say this. Everyone has leprosy of the heart. Everyone has inwardly leprosy of the heart. Every single person, every single human being. Now, the irony of this passage is that the man was cleansed of his leprosy. He's pronounced clean. However, he's still a sinner. Do you see that? He's still a sinner. He has a deeper leprosy that he doesn't even seem to be aware of. He has leprosy of the heart. 
Now, when Jesus eclipses the priest, he also eclipses the Old Testament ceremonial law. Do you notice how bankrupt the law actually is? It has the power to condemn you, but not the power to truly cleanse you. And notice that the man is pronounced clean of his leprosy when his leprosy is taken away. But we know that he isn't clean. And how do we know that he isn't clean? Well, we could say he rejects Christ. He rejects Jesus in this very passage. He rebels against Christ. He disobeys Jesus. And consequently, he really has no idea who Jesus really is. Did he realize that he just encountered the Savior of the universe? the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I think the fact that he just blew Jesus off and didn't listen to what he said, you know, is it really too much to ask? It's like, hey, I'm going to hook you up. I'm going to relieve you of this horrible thing. I'm going to give you the life that you've always wanted. All I ask in return is that you just don't tell anybody. No, that's too much to ask. Can't do it. Did he really encounter Jesus? Or was this the sideshow that we were talking about last week? Do you remember that? The sideshow where people were just coming to him because they were getting handouts. And they loved that about Christ, but they didn't really see that they had a deeper issue. That they really were sinners. And that they needed a Savior that they needed to submit to and follow. And all of us are unclean. All of us need much more than an outward healing. Every single person here and every single person on the planet has leprosy of the heart. You and I have sinned and exchanged the glory of the living God for earthly idols of sex and power and money. You have been angry unrighteously. You've slandered and gossiped and lied and stolen. You've killed and coveted. You've dishonored your parents and blasphemed the holy name of God. Your hands and your hearts are stained. And in some ways, we're left wondering, why doesn't Jesus heal more often than he does? Do you guys ever wonder this? I sure do. And many of you believe that Jesus has the power to heal, but rarely do we see it happen. And the question is, why? This leaves us perhaps disillusioned, doesn't it? <laughs> it does for me. Now, this passage really isn't about healing. Let's make that clear. It's about cleansing. Now, in verses 40 to 45, if you go through and pay careful attention to it, there's not one reference to healing, but there's four references to cleansing. Christ talks about how the man was cleansed. So the issue here isn't so much healing. The issue is about cleansing. And we're talking about how we need a deeper cleanse than just our outward healing. So this, so, so most likely you've asked God for healing and most likely he hasn't been willing. I would venture to say that all of us probably have probably prayed earnestly for healing for yourself or maybe somebody else. And you've seen it hasn't, it hasn't been answered with the yes. But when you go to God and when you say, God, if you are willing, you can cleanse me of my sin. I repent I believe in Jesus. If you are willing, you can forgive me. Do you know what? Without exception, 100% of the time, you can bank on this with utter confidence. Jesus will always say, yes, I am willing. He will never, ever turn you away. 
from forgiving your sins if you come to him and repent and ask for ask for forgiveness and repent of your sins. We can be 100% sure of that 100% of the time. Jesus is always willing to forgive us of our sins and Jesus is always willing um, to make us new and cleanse us from within. So Jesus is a better law. He's a better law because he requires because because all he requires is it is for us to obey him. Do you realize that? When you think about in what way is Jesus a better law? Well, follow him. Know him. Know his word and follow him and be obedient to him. That's all he requires. You know the song Trust and Obey? Trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Really, if you think about it, the law of God is summarized. Love God, love your neighbor, follow Christ. Know him, follow him. Know his word and do it. Be obedient to him. And this is the way that Jesus offers a better law. And he's a better priest because he's the one who allows the sinner to approach him and he touches the sinner. He's the only uh, savior because he's the one who goes outside the camp so that I can come in. Only he can take his sh- my shame upon himself when he was nailed to the cross so I could be beautiful and lovely. Do you realize that? That in Christ, he takes an ugly thing and makes you a beautiful thing, a treasured possession. And getting back to what Mark was praying this morning, do you see this? Do you see Christ as beautiful? I pray that we would collectively, that this heart that all of our hearts collectively, that we would be marked by this, that we see Jesus is beautiful. That when we see he is the one who gives us this law of obey him, follow him. He's the one who stands in our place. He takes our shame upon him. And now because of that, we can be made clean. We are clean. We are beautiful in his sight. He does not think of you as a sinner. He thinks of you as a beloved child of the living God. That is a wonderful thing. This is a beautiful Savior, brothers and sisters. Only Jesus is the one who can truly identify your issue. And that is, you have leprosy of the heart that needs deep cleansing. So in some ways, when we encounter our our physical ailments, when we think about suffering in that way, I would suggest to you that it's an invitation to think about what your true needs really are. Who is Jesus to you? That's a good question that we can ask ourselves. Is Jesus the sideshow? The seeker sideshow who just gives us what we want? Or is he the one who offers forgiveness of sins and salvation? Is he a, is he a sideshow or is he a savior to you? And that really, that, for, that forces us to ask the question about ourselves. Who am I? What is my deepest need? What is my deepest need? Do I really see that my biggest problem facing me is my sin nature? And if so, do I see that I am forgiven and Christ Jesus has actually healed that up? And if you think about it, like I said before, this passage isn't exactly about healing. It's about cleansing. That's Jesus's number one priority. And if it was his priority to heal us physically, we would see more of it, wouldn't we? 
So I think there is this deeper thing going on, and it begs us to ask the question of ourselves, do I really see that my sin nature is my biggest issue? And how much do I rejoice that it's actually been solved? Can I rejoice in the reality my sin is taken care of? I am clean. I'm clean within. He's taken my shame from me. So this passage asks us, it forces us to ask a question about Christ, and it forces us to ask a question about ourselves. And when we rightly see, I would submit to you, when we rightly see Christ for who he is, and when we rightly see us for who we are, Christ is beautiful. And I pray that we would see him as such. Let me pray. Lord, we do ask that you would help us, give us eyes to see your beauty. You are beautiful, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord God, for, <clears throat> for being a better law. Thank you for being a better priest. And thank you for being the only Savior that mankind ever would need. Thank you that you show us the depths of our sin. Thank you, Lord God, that you forgive us. Thank you that you have traded places with us, the leper. All of us are a leper in one way or another. So I pray, Lord God, that you would help us. I pray that you would help us to make sense of ourselves. I pray that you would help us to make sense of the world that we find ourselves in. We just pray, Lord, that um, you would be beautiful to us, Lord Jesus, as individuals and collectively as a body, that we'd be marked by that. So we thank you for this word. We thank you, Lord God, that... Um, we can study it, that we can look at it, and I just pray, Lord, that you would bear fruit through it. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen.